Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Pramack. On today's show, the latest trouble for Tesla and a very blue steel industry. But first, scooter wars. Okay, yeah, look. At first, I thought it was dumb too. All of these electric-powered scooters showing up in big American cities, able to be located and unlocked with the same sort of smartphone app used by companies like Uber. Yeah, they're scooters. It's the transportation choice of children and, I guess, late 90s hipsters before the dot-com crash. But the truth is that this has become, amazingly, a legitimate form of hyper-local transportation. Basically, the way to move from point A to point B when it's too slow to walk but too short to hail a car. And lots of people love them, which is why venture capitalists have plugged hundreds of millions of dollars into companies like Bird and Lime at big billion-dollar valuations, believing scooters could become the new ride hail. And in fact, ride hail companies are doing it too. Uber and Lyft want permits. The problem, though, is that city officials have long memories, and many don't want to repeat what they consider to be their failure in regulating ride hail back in the early days. So some of them have now begun putting caps on scooters or prevented certain companies from operating, basically managing to put the toothpaste back into the tube. For example, look at what happened in San Francisco, where six months ago it was almost impossible to walk down a sidewalk without hitting a scooter. Then, all of a sudden, there were none. Zero, because the city said it was going to figure out who would get permits for a pilot program and who wouldn't. Now, scooters are back in San Francisco, but far fewer than before. And we saw a similar thing happen in Santa Monica, which actually is where Bird, maybe the leading scooter company, is headquartered. Why all of this matters is that until a few years ago, cities hadn't really undergone any major transportation shifts since horses gave way to cars. But now those changes are coming fast and furious from ride hail to self-driving to, yeah, scooters. And each regulatory reaction, each incremental step could set precedent for the next change. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios reporter Kia Kokliacheva, who has been covering the scooter wars. But first, this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined by Axios reporter Kia Kokliacheva, who this morning has a story about how investors aren't being scared off by these new regulations. So, Kia, a lot of these scooter companies basically followed the Uber model, right? You know, act first, dump tons of scooters on sidewalks and ask forgiveness later. Was that a smart strategy looking back on it? Well, I think it really depends on the city. There's places like San Francisco where that totally backfired. City governments are not happy about it. And then there's places where almost even like forced to issue, it forced cities to sort of get their act together because residents were really enjoying the new transportation option they had. Let's lay out exactly what San Francisco did. So what exactly did San Francisco do? Well, so basically a few companies showed up. They got the really, really basic permits, like business permit, showed up, put their scooters everywhere. People started using them. San Francisco freaked out and put in place a pilot program and immediately told the companies, you have to take your scooters off the streets and apply. And we're going to figure out who will get a very limited number of permits to operate. And then, of course, the city took much longer than it was supposed to. And finally, it came out and gave only two permits. It could give up to five per its original rules. And it gave out only two permits. And none of the companies that had showed up originally 
got one. And neither did Lyft and Uber, which have a history of animosity with the city. There's this perception always that, you know, the bigger company is always able to sway City Hall. But in this case, it was the opposite, really, right? The richer companies, the ones with the bigger valuations, were the ones who got shut out. Yeah, the city really just wasn't having any of this ask for forgiveness later. The city didn't really care who has $100 million in revenue or funding. It just wanted to see folks who are following the rules and not trying to do their own thing. Kate, you wrote this morning, you talked to a bunch of venture capitalists who were invested in companies like Bird and Lime and others. And they seem, and correct me if I'm wrong here, from reading what they said to you, they seem to be almost poo-pooing this, saying, oh yeah, well, we can't be in San Francisco right now, but don't worry, this is only temporary. Is that an accurate understanding of their belief? And then secondarily, do you think they're right? They don't even know if their investments are ever going to be able to operate in San Francisco, but they're very much looking at it as an isolated incident. I mean, a lot of them live here. They know the animosity that the city can have towards tech companies. And so they're really thinking about it as this is just one city. It's an outlier. It's special. It doesn't matter because there are hundreds of cities in the country and in the world. So we really don't need to be worried about one single small city, because San Francisco is very tiny, one single small city not letting us operate here for now. Do you think they're right about that? In other words, is it just isolated? You know, San Francisco's got its own, you know, specific history, but we've also seen Santa Monica, which is where Bird is based, put some limits. And I know that Bird ultimately got a permit for their pilot program, but originally didn't get a staff recommendation. I guess, do you believe they're right that this is isolated or will it be San Francisco becomes the guinea pig. It's the one that figures out the rules and everybody else ultimately follows them. Well, one interesting theme that kept coming up from investors and companies like Bird and Lime, which are operating in dozens of cities at this point, was that they believe that this experience is going to pay off, that cities who may be a little upset at their aggressive tactics will ultimately see that these companies are experienced and know what they're doing. They know how to run this and manage this and ultimately let them operate there. Obviously, San Francisco aside, but yeah, they really, really believe that cities will see the light now or eventually. So they're really not that worried. Let me just broaden this out a little bit, which is from your perspective. So you're in San Francisco. It is not always warm there, per se, but it's not usually snowing like it is where I live in Boston. And and we have scooters here now, although I can't for the life of me figure out how they're going to operate, say, in January or February with, with snow piles everywhere. From your perspective, is this a long term real sea change trend in kind of urban hyper local transportation like Uber and Lyft were? Or is it a fad? So there's actually two questions. One is we haven't seen how these scooters are going to fare in winter and in different types of weather. Some of the scooters aren't waterproof, so we'll have to see how that works out in certain places. But I think originally when scooters showed up, a lot of people thought it was going to be a phase and it's a trend and we'll get over it. But if you think about bicycles, for example, which are kind of similar, they're not cars and you can take them in short ranges. People still use them. And so scooters are part of this new trend that people call micromobility, which is effectively personal, shorter range vehicles. They're not cars. And so I think that's actually going to stick around. Whether or not scooters are the format remains to be seen. But just this notion of getting around not by foot or by car, I think is here to stay. So scooters are here to stay. Kia Kokliacheva, thank you so much. My final two right after this. 
There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the latest headache for Tesla and its embattled CEO, Elon Musk. Bloomberg reports that the U.S. Department of Justice is now conducting a criminal investigation into both Tesla and Musk over the CEO's infamous August 7th tweet that he had funding secured for a possible take private buyout of his company. Now, this is in addition to an existing Securities and Exchange Commission investigation and could become far more problematic, not because the Department of Justice might learn something different about the veracity of Musk's tweet, namely because there was none, but because it could begin digging deeper into the company's management and accounting practices perhaps learning something unrelated, but just as damaging. In short, if you can avoid Justice Department investigators from rooting around in your company, by all means do so. And don't put out a random tweet that causes them to knock on the door. And finally, remember how President Trump's tariffs on steel were supposed to help prop up the U.S. steel industry? Well, it's not exactly working as planned. Zeckelman Industries, one of the nation's leading makers of steel tubes, based in Chicago, was supposed to go public this week in what would have been one of the largest industrial IPOs in years. But it's not. Canceled. Blaming weak investor interests, at least at the price that Zeckelman executives wanted. One issue for investors seems to be that the tariffs have helped increase the price of steel, which is the thing Zeckelman uses to make its tubes, thus worrying them about future price increases. So you could say, wait, hold on, bad for Zeckelman, but if steel prices are up, good for you. U.S. steel makers. But maybe in theory, however, U.S. steel workers are still having problems. Thousands of them, just in the past day, voted to authorize the right to strike on two days' notice. Now, these steel workers represent 25% of all U.S. steel production and argued they haven't seen the benefits of their industry's supposed recovery, still facing rising health care costs and stagnant wages. Trump, of course, hasn't commented on any of this. And we're done. Thanks so much for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great national talk like a pirate day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.